News Radio 610 WTVN. This is For the Defense. Powered by Flowerama. Common Sense Conservatism for Ohio. With your host, Attorney Brad Koppel. Uh, General, it is uh, awesome to be back in the saddle here this morning. And uh, first of all, good morning. Good morning to you, sir. Today, I don't, I don't, I, I, what are the odds? What are the odds that we're going to talk about Andrew Jackson and the period of 1820 to 1850? In fact, we're going to do a couple of shows on this. And stick with us because this is a very, very important piece of American history. You need to know and understand the American past to understand it's where we are today. And much, much of what we're dealing with today in 2023, we were dealing with the seeds of this in the pre-Civil War. 1824, to be exact. And um, Andrew Jackson such a huge, huge figure during this time period. What are the odds that we walk into the studio here, 610 WTVN, and tell our listeners what was on the ground at the door as we're walking in? Well, there was a piece of debris laying there, and uh, being as earth-conscious as you are, uh, you knelt down to pick it up so that it would not continue to litter this beautiful uh, radio station, and it turned out to be uh, green in nature, and there was a portrait on the front of it of a certain president uh, promising to pay the bearer $20, and that would be Andrew Jackson. What? We lamented that we, it was not Ben Franklin we've done, that we've, we were discussing. <laughs> we've done 300 shows. Yes. Probably. We've been coming into the 610 once a week. Sometimes this is the first one that's been remunerative. 20, <laughs> 20, we've been doing this since 2017. And we are finally on the, 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 in the, the time period, the arc of history, where we're focusing on Thomas, I'm sorry, Andrew Jackson's America. And what do we find at the doorstep but a fresh, crisp $20 bill? That's right. No, I picked it up. I gave it to you. I didn't keep it. I'm not a hoarder. Hey, uh, but, okay, so how we got here, Who we, you need to, you're going to look at this period. Who had their hands on the levers of power from 20 to 50, that being 1820, 1850, uh, who was tapping the balloons of political influence to protect certain industries and companies and other men? Uh, what was said to the people versus what was actually happening. And to decode today, you need to know the code. We're not, we don't necessarily have the code, but we have clues of the code because very few people actually know the code. As we say, we're not remembering or we're not predicting, we're remembering. Yeah. We're going to give you clues. And we're going through this exploration together here in the American dream and for the defense of the American people. And this time period, 1820 to 1850, in my opinion, and I think many people after you listen to this show will agree, this is the most underrated, overlooked, misunderstood, but extremely important period of American history after our nation's birth. Describes our radio show. Not this, How's that? Underrated. Yes, for sure. Uh, not necessarily because, you know, from 20 to 50, there was no World War One, no World War Two, no Civil War, no Revolutionary War, no war. Uh, there, it, 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 and it's not so much from what happened, but what didn't happen with the men in power. And when I say men, I'm, I'm being intentional. Uh, I'm not trying to be pejorative. This is the men in power 
staved off the European influences that we are dealing with today. This is nothing new. And we're going to talk a little bit about my man Alexis de Tocqueville, the Frenchie. He came over and he's like, this place is unbelievable. This is the period when de Tocqueville was here. He was rubbing elbows with the, this is the generation, first gen, born to the founders. These these kids who were born after the founding of our country are now in the saddles. They're in the saddles of uh, their state houses. They're in the saddles of uh, Congress. They're running for president. They're in the saddles of little uh, cliques that are going to form soon form political parties. The world knew, General, what an Englishman was or what a Frenchman was. They even kind of knew what a Russian was. But what is an American? This is the generation that defined it. This is the generation. These three decades created the mold to understand 1820 to 1850. And we talk about MAGA, Make America Great Again. This is the generation that made it great. And political forces have been after it ever since. Political forces domestically and globally. This generation had a commitment to a set of values and ideals, uh, whereas other world nations had been based upon religion or ethnicity. We were not. Maybe it's based upon language. We were not. We were not. We had all kinds of religions, all kinds of ethnicities. Other languages arrived here. But once you got here and you set foot on our, our soil, you had to adopt our values and I, our ideals. Otherwise, you were not going to make it. Well, and our ideals were very meta ideals. So it wasn't yeah, come here and be That's a, a Protestant. big little word. word. Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's not come here and be a Protestant. It was come here and get religious freedom. I mean, we had some budding uh, uh, religions with the Shakers and the the Oneida communities and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, the, the, these utopian Fabian societies. Um, and, and people roughly mostly just kind of left them alone. I think the political ideology, being free from an oppressive ruling class, that was it. Yes. You came here, forget about Whigs and forget about the Democrat, Republican, or forget about the Free Soil Party. You came here to be free from an oppressive ruling class. The frontier was open. You had to adopt your new national culture, which was one of solidarity. Again, if you watch 1883, Yellowstone, uh, the prequel to Yellowstone, if you watch anything of the of the the frontier uh you had to join forces with other men and women to survive it was one of solidarity yes there were uh, wealthy plantations there were wealthy elites in the northeast and new england but this america this america 1619 project dei curriculum in our our public schools this america created the mold that made America great. It did not create racial exclusions. It went to work to reverse it and eliminated it. This is the generation that fought for every new inch of American territory would be free, free soil. This is the generation of mom and dad that sent their boys to war for Abe Lincoln to end slavery This is America before Marxism, 
before government welfare, before redistribution of income. And it's worth noting we were the first country other than Britain, which happened at roughly the same time, to actually try to stop slavery, yeah, a 10,000-year-old plura- institution. A plurality of Americans opposed slavery on various grounds, I don't care, whether it was religious, moral, philosophical, political. But this is the sons and daughters of Gen 1 that made America great. Those in power from 20 to 50, we know very little about these ancestors. What this generation did from 20 to 50 is nothing but amazing. It is also very likely the most important set of folks who get the least attention in our school textbooks. This is the generation that gave us patriotism. Francis Scott Key's The Star-Spangled Banner. Uh, uh, libraries, schoolhouses, land-grant universities, manifest destiny, the birth of American culture. Multiple, multiple language came to the United States from all over the world. But Andrew Jackson's American English broke off from Thomas Jefferson's European English. What did we get? Noah Webster's Dictionary of American English was published in 28. What else did Noah do? He had his speller books taught five generations at least of American children how to spell and read. Didn't Sequoia uh, do the Cherokee alphabet and language uh, for the five civilized nations at the same time? Yeah, sure, yes. The lexicographers did, are going crazy. What else did Noah do? He, he was a member of the Connecticut Society for the Abolition of Slavery. This generation was not about white patriarchy this generation was about how can we live free and we've got men and women and children locked up in leg irons they walked the talk they also knew the greatest threat to this republic was a concentration of power in this three decade period the power machines came and this generation fought them off Stick around. We're going to pick up this conversation. We're going to make your toes curl. Welcome back. Uh, we're talking about the generation, Gen 2, the uh, the kids born to our founders, the kids that lo- uh, learned at the at the feet of the founders. And they uh, they were charged, these kids were charged to protect, defend, and execute on the Declaration of Independence, the United States Constitution, and the Bill of Rights. There was no European model to look at. In fact, you shouldn't be looking at Europe for any type of uh, example. I mean, Europe was a mess. There was nothing but wars. Sprawling mess. It was a huge mess. And so our these kids, these boys, and young men who matured into our uh, Henry Clays, our Andy Jacksons, our uh, uh, John C. Calhouns, um, our Daniel Webster's, these kids that were born uh, at our founding, uh, uh, after our, our nation's founding, were told, were told that there's no other nation that has divided its government into three equal branches. And then we further divide the process of passing laws into two separate chambers. They were told this. They were told the president has veto power. And then the same body that 
is trying to pass law has veto power over the president's veto. They were told this was done intentionally to make it hard to pass federal laws, not easy. They were told gridlock is good. Interestingly, um, Andrew Jackson, if you took all the presidents before him, Andrew Jackson had more vetoes than every president before him. Very rarely was anything vetoed until Jackson got there. These kids, these kids knew that the men who made America from scratch wanted more than anything else to make it hard to pass federal laws. And the only laws that could safely pass through the system were necessary and proper. That is the necessary and proper clause. Now, if I was teaching kids in high school or college, I would first start with who knows the clauses of the United States Constitution. These clauses are exceptions that give the federal government power. That enumerate certain limited areas. Necessary and proper clause. And they were told what is necessary and what's not necessary. What's proper, what's not, not, not proper. And they were told by the Virginians, Jefferson, Madison, Monroe, that a national bank is not necessary, nor is it proper. And so there's a battle of banksters, banking. This generation's political leaders that rose to the top to protect us from tyranny from within knew these express permissions of the United States, and they strictly followed them. So these dudes who took their wives and their 42 kids in, in old wagons and river boats and on foot to these new territories of the West demanded no slavery in the territories, 1619 Project. And the economy expanded. It took off west of the Ohio country. These moms and dads and their able-bodied, now they're down to 18 kids by the <laughs> I'm not. I'm kind of joking. I'm kind of not. I mean, this was rough. Uh, but what they do? They worked the land. They built libraries. They built schools and universities. How'd they do it? They did it on their own. They built farms too. And it was savings. It was thrift. And if they needed a lot, if they needed a little bit of money, if they needed to borrow a little bit of money, they went into town to the to to the local savings and loan. They talked to the they talked to the guy who was in charge of giving loans. And the guy made sure that the family could repay the loan. And the consumer, the debtor liked to know that if he put his money in the bank, the money might stay in the bank, might not go someplace else. Which, again, we're going to have multiple episodes on the banking cartel very soon. There was no Federal Reserve for this generation. There's no J.P. Morgan yet. In fact, the currency was all local banknotes. It, it wasn't federal federal currency. It, politics needs to be local. Culture needs to be local. Money needs to be local. Lending needs to be local. You do you you need to look a man in the eye, shake his hand when you're taking his money or giving him money. That's my rule for giving political donations. I don't give any money, and I'm in the donor class. I make no bones about it. I will participate. I will maximize my participation in the donor class. But I don't give a check to a candidate by just writing it at a fundraiser. I want to sit down, have a cup of coffee. If they want money out of me, I want to sit down and talk to them and, and meet them. That's the way it was done. And Andrew Jackson, the first people's president, 
He understood this. He saw firsthand what would happen if we let men with avarice and greed control the nation's money supply. Man, was that hillbilly right? I mean, he was our first NASCAR dad, wasn't he? Well, he he would self-taught himself to be a lawyer. Self-taught himself. Yes. You need to self-teach yourself. It's a double entendre, I yeah, think. Yeah, it's, it's an entendre of an entendre. But speaking of Andy Jackson, he defeated, he was a badass. Old Hickory, he defeated the same British army that beat Napoleon at Waterloo. I mean, he was no slouch, and he was seriously outnumbered. We, could, I don't think we're going to talk too much about that, that particular battle down in uh, New Orleans. But this is the generation that sent their sons to fight for Abraham Lincoln. This is the generation that gave us the Republican Party. Globalism? <laughs> Far from it. The Monroe Doctrine. The Monroe, that was a force field around our young country. We're staying out of European affairs. Who would want to model that? Well, Monroe was so popular that nobody ran against him for a second term. Bingo. And he would have won. He would have taken all those, check me on this, but I think that election, he would have won unanimously, but they kept that from happening to protect the legacy of George Washington. He would have been the only unanimous, but look that, that's how popular he was. Americans don't want anything to do with Europe. We don't, we still don't. Why are we in Ukraine? Henry Clay, Danny Webster, John Calhoun, Andy Jackson, John Marshall, John Tyler, Billy Harrison. We don't know that much about these guys. But what we do know is that they the, these, these guys refused to revive the Bank of the United States in the 30s. They were populists. They opposed much federal spending on things that could be done by capitalists. Now, your textbooks say that Andy Jackson uh, had no political principles. He had no, and there's something to that. You and I last, when did we go to the Hermitage? Uh, 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 last year in the late fall. Yeah. And we went down and, you know, we spent the day there and then we met the curator of the presidential library. And and I'm like, what exactly were Andy Jackson's political principles? He really didn't have any, kind of like Trump. Andy Jackson and Donald Trump are very similar personalities and they had a cult of personality. In fact, did, did Trump, put a bust of Andrew Jackson. Was it Andrew Jackson's bust that Trump put in the uh, Oval? He, he definitely had noted uh, his similarities to Jackson. And then, of course, after the election in uh, 2020, a lot of people compared that to the election of 1824, which was generally called the corrupt bargain, where John Quincy Adams uh, was able to snake the, pre- the presidency away from yeah. Jackson. So JQA was their Biden. Yes. Andy Jackson was our Trump. Explain that. Yes. And what happened there was uh, that it was too close. See, what happened was. Yes. It was too close. And so the the, the election went to the House of Representatives. And and even though uh, more people were voting for Jackson, uh, at the very end, after several uh, uh, ballots, there was a bunch of bargaining as to who would be named vice president. And then what happened was. Uh, that 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 corrupt bargain kicked the the uh, uh, election over uh, to John Quincy Adams, and that basically uh, the establishment uh, guy. Yeah, it it angered Jackson so much that he spent the next four years organizing his people, and mm. then he came in and really he came in twenty eight. 
Yes. Very, and he threw a party, didn't he? Yes, he, he literally <laughs> a very destructive party at the White House, in fact. <laughs> he threw a party. It's the people's house. Yes. Uh, People were using windows as doors <laughs> and standing on furniture to get a better view. And, and, and I think that the, the, there was a lot of haw-hawing going on, let's uh, just say. Uh, I uh, but yeah, they they these these guys. Uh, what, 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 uh, to close out this segment, Jimmy Polk was elected president president in '44 on the platform of Manifest Destiny, and cleaning Mar- up after Jackson's party. Marty Van Buren was elected president. What was his party? 1619 Project. What was the name of Marty Van Buren's party? DEI, racist school administrators. The Free Soil Party. Thank you. News Radio 610 WTVN. This is For the Defense. Powered by Flowerama. Common Sense Conservatism for Ohio. With your host, Attorney Brad Koppel. Oh, we're having a blast today, aren't we, General? Indeed. Uh, This generation, Gen 2, the first generation of American leaders who were born into the United States, taught by the founders. If there were questions about the meaning of something, you know what? You didn't have to go to the textbook. You could just send an email to Tom Jefferson. You could ask the guy. You could ask him. Yeah. What do you mean when you said this? (laughs) Uh, Morse code was invented. Telegraphs connected town to town. And you had culturally, we had some 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 guys popping. You had uh, fellows by the name of uh, Longfellow, Poe, Hawthorne, Melville, Emerson. But back to race and slavery. Yes, it was still brutal. But this generation did not give up on those souls who did not look like them, who did not talk like them, and were viewed as property and three fifths a man. As I said. These men and women sent their boys to fight to end slavery. Now, I I have to say, though, that three-fifths provision of the Constitution was an anti-slavery provision because the Southerners were trying to count the slaves as full citizens for the purposes of political power. Now, the slaves would have voted against slavery, one would presume. So the Northerners said, you can't count somebody who can't vote for a system and you own those people. You either they're either people or they're not. So the compromise was to keep Southern power down and Northern power ascendant politically. Let's just count those slaves as three fifths, so that you can't match us when we finally get rid of slavery. I can't do the math. I can't even imagine how you do the kind of math. The three fifths. Uh, that anywho. Oh, well, they had calculators. Uh, Texas yeah, Instruments. You ask uh, Chat GPT. Yeah. They just asked uh, AI. Now. Alexis de Tocqueville. Alex de Tocqueville. Yeah, you ask Alexis. Uh, uh, Alexa. Uh, Alexa. A- Alexis de Tocqueville was a French reporter. Uh, he, uh, he, 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 now at this point in time, we're past the French Revolution. We're past the Napoleonic Wars. We've seen the European empires uh, get busted up. Uh, he walked through Europe and rode horseback through, through England, and he talked to... Uh, uh, what was going on over there, and then he took his eight-week voyage to the States, and he spent a lot of time here. And he wrote a, a seminal treatise on democracy in America. And what de Tocqueville discovered was that this American society was remarkably 
egalitarian. It was self-made. Now, that that self-made is a <clears throat> term, um, I believe, attributed to Henry Clay. And, and we are going to have to, in future shows, maybe next show, we're going to have to talk about Henry Clay, Daniel Webster, John Calhoun, the, the men in, the, in Congress who had their hands on the levers of power. But what... De Tocqueville saw was this American society without the tentacles of aristocracy, without the tentacles of elites, and there was room at the top. And that's what Jacksonian democracy was all about. They, the Jacksonians, of which we are, like many listeners would consider themselves to be Jeffersonian, Jacksonian. uh, Leave us alone types. Yeah. And the Jacksonians looked at the big issue of the day, one of the big issues, of the day, there were many, but this Bank of the United States was viewed as an aristocratic monster. Hmm. It is still. And I'm not even sure. I, 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 it's bigger than a, it's a, it's a Godzilla. Well, it's, it's, yeah, it, it, it's modern uh, um, apotheosis is um, that's the a, Federal Reserve. That's a big word. You can you use a different word. Uh, it's modern incarnation. Thank you. Uh, at the now, the forces that were at play with this generation, with these kids, the forces were greed and avarice, as it, and, and money and power, which are always with us, like bad weather. Always with us. And you have the circling of the sharks, which will be the cliques that became the political machines that became the major parties. How much power should the president have? What about this national bank business? What do we do? We do tariffs. Are they good for American commercial interests or not? Do we give money to the poor and destitute? What if they can work? How isolationist should we be? We need to deal with slavery. What are we going to do with the Indians? In fact, kind of what we're doing to these people is either right or it's immoral. And um, and don't forget. Gen 2's generation, uh, kids moved our country towards women's rights. Uh, these parents reared children that advanced the working conditions, or the, the conditions rather, the working classes. This generation's kids advocated for taking better care of the poor, the elderly, the infirm. I think they used the term senile back then. I don't remember. This this generation, 20 to 50, literally, not figuratively, literally gave us the American dream. They took the founding documents, put them into, put them into, and executed on them, lived them, protected them. Today, there's a giant gulf between that ideal of an American dream and an actuality. I say... The American dream is very illusory, extremely illusory. It's an illusion. What do you say, General? I say that uh, we have neglected it and eschewed it. We have uh, made fun of it, uh, some parts of our society. Uh, and, you know, it, it, a little bit tied up with American exceptionalism. You either believe that or you don't. But. If you ignore your teeth, they'll go away, says the dentist. And if you ignore your dentist, if you ignore your uh, your your rights, they will go away as well. And if you ignore your dream, your dream will fade. 
So uh, if we if we if we pause and let's check in on what's going on in in Europe at this point in time. Again, we're talking eighteen twenty to eighteen fifty, a hugely critical time of American history, where really the American dream was made and lived out. If George the Third dies, George the Fourth, his son, uh, is in uh, in England from twenty to thirty. Pretty much, we had no entanglements at this point with England. Um, they were uh, deeply in debt. Uh, you had a bunch of uh, fiefdoms and duchies uh, in in the German uh, Empire. Uh, France was uh, trying to collect itself into one of its versions of a republic. We came to Missouri. Now, Missouri, the gateway to the West. And we had to do something with slavery in, in Missouri. And, and this generation came up with the Missouri Compromise. And we'll talk about that later. James Monroe as you, we've already mentioned, was easily reelected on the Monroe Doctrine. And his annual message to Congress said, uh, we are, number one, no more European colonization in the Americas, not just the United States, our hemisphere. That's bold. Send your people, but keep your troops out. <laughs> and in exchange, we will not interfere with, interfere with your business over there in Europe because Which they all looked at it goes oh thanks Europe you, you're a giant poop show uh, is what uh, Jim Monroe said and that became our foreign policy for the rest of the century Spain gives up and gives us Florida and uh, and Disney World uh, <laughs> and then um, one man we forgot to mention was John Marshall who's a chief justice in the United States Supreme Court who's part of this generation Extremely important uh, because briefly explain. Uh, well, after the break, yeah, we're out of time, but uh, we're going to do one more one more segment on this. But very important, one thing that this generation did: the men on the Supreme Court understood that the Supreme Court did have the power to review and declare congressional acts as unconstitutional. That was a first. Hey, welcome back. One guy I want to talk about, one of the, one of the kids in this generation, Henry Clay. Uh, Henry Clay was, by all accounts, their generation's uh, Joe Biden. Uh, he ran for president more times than Joe Biden. He ran for president in, uh, five times. Uh, couldn't get out of the primaries a couple times, but 24, 32, 44, there were a couple others in there. And he was in Congress a really long time. He helped found the National Republican Party. But he and two other really, really important men, Daniel Webster and John C. Calhoun, uh, had a lot of influence at the congressional level. These three guys, Clay, Webster, and Calhoun, really need to be studied kind of beyond the scope of this show. But they really need to be studied because no, we'll get to them. Henry Clay developed what we historians refer to as the American system, and the American system did did there was a pivot. What do we do about our infrastructure, railroads, canals, uh, connecting farmers with trade? Uh, who should pay for all that? Should the government pay for all that? Or should the, uh, the the capitalist 
pay for that. And Clay argued that this is in the nation's best interest. It was necessary and proper that federal tax dollars should go towards infrastructure improvements. A little bit of a Hamiltonian thought process. For sure, there. yeah. And, um, and, you know, we're not anti-Alexander Hamilton. There's certainly a role for a national, national bank. Uh, but certainly what we have here with this, this Federal Reserve and the, and the, uh, and the IMF uh, foreshadowing to future shows, the IMF is coming to you. Uh, it's a matter coming of, after you. It's company, <laughs> but uh, the American system was: we're going to protect our businesses, i.e., high protective tariffs. We're going to have a national bank that will help regulate the flow of money uh, through these towns and villages and townships, and we're going to subsidize the construction of bridges and canals and railroads, and. Uh, these guys, Clay, Webster, even uh, Billy Henry Harrison, Andrew Jackson, these guys were all jockeying for the the saddle at, at the White House. Uh, and I think that Henry Clay is, a, is an interesting guy to, to, to look at as maybe we look at Henry Clay as kind of the model young man leader of this generation it's the classic american story seventh of uh, nine children let me grab my notes here so i get this right seventh of nine children born to a reverend almost all his siblings died his older siblings died before adulthood his family moves to kentucky looking for better land in the west he was actually educated at william and mary he taught under George. Is it with or wife? Wife. Wife. Well, the, the color is with house gold, so maybe it is with. Uh, now, George, with or wife, W Y T H E, was a signer of the Declaration of Independence, but he was also a Scottishman of the Enlightenment belief, and he was the mentor of Thomas Jefferson, among other presidents. Uh, Henry Clay. According to my notes, had 11 children, buried all six daughters. A son, two sons went mad. They wound up in insane asylums. So life was tough. This, I mean, life was tough for this generation and, and the ones that came after that. But the dude could talk in a courtroom. He could talk in the chambers of, of, of uh, the legislative houses, whether and persuasively, it, whether it was in the Kentucky State House or Congress, uh, I I like this little factoid that Henry Clay's most notable client was a chap by the name of Aaron Burr. Now, as we know, after Aaron Burr took out Hamilton, Burr went off out west, thought he'd start his own nation, so he brought brought he got brought in on treason. Uh, Henry Clay defended him. And Burr was acquitted. Uh, but Henry Clay also advocated for the gradual emancipation of slavery in Kentucky. And he took that with him to D.C. Um, it was an older guy of this generation, which made him extremely influential. Not only did he have his hands on the levers of power, but he also was tapping the balloon. He was tapping the slavery balloon. He was tapping the economy of balloon. 
And um, he wasn't popping it, but he was letting the air out in a deliberate fashion. So uh, he he would be a MAGA candidate today, no doubt about it. Uh, he came in behind the founders. He's from the South. Uh, he quickly became Speaker of the House, undoubtedly one of the most influential speakers of the House, probably only exceeded by uh, Webster. And, um, you know, he this this economic plan known as the uh, uh, as the American system that we're going to we're going to invest uh our treasury in our nation. We're not going to invest our treasury in other nations. Our money doesn't our money doesn't float. It doesn't sail. It doesn't fly. So take general closing remarks. Well, I, I definitely uh, w- would agree that uh, these people were definitely America firsters. Uh, and, uh, I mean, just the idea that, you know, hey, Europe, you don't come over here and mess with us and we won't go over there and mess with you. We would not be over there with American dollars trying to buy this election in Ukraine or buy that election in Russia or, or whatever. It would just be, look, we'll we'll stay here. We've got enough to manage ourselves and uh, we have enough things to promote ourselves. And we have enough debate as to whether the government should be promoting those or whether the free market should. And that's what these these guys did. These were orators. They were debaters. They knew their stuff. They weren't George Santos's who went there on frauds. These guys knew the classics. They knew the founding documents. They knew the founding fathers, or at least they knew people who knew the founding fathers. They knew the operating code. They knew the risks of centralization of power whether that is in banking or politics. And it took a guy like Old Hickory, Andrew Jackson, to finally win in 28 to show our nation what we could do if we minded our own business. Now, uh, we, we also had, we are, at this point in time, we already, we already have the, probably the first American aristocrat, Astor. The second, the Commodore, Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's part of this generation. Vanderbilt is part of this generation. We have to talk about Vanderbilt. One of the biggest problems that history has with Andy Jackson is the Indian Removal Act. And it was brutal. No doubt about it. I mean, there's just no way... I mean, the, the, the way... This generation treated the Indians. Now, we weren't there. We're not living through it. I, you know, we didn't have our mom scalped. Our kids weren't killed. But we did come in on, and we had a little bit, uh, you and I had a little dance on this topic our last show. Um, I don't think we can look at how we treated the Indians in 2023 with 2023 goggles. Yeah, e- even in the Bible says you have to judge a man by his times. And you can't go look back on somebody a thousand years ago and say, oh, I would have done it differently. Yeah, you would have tried to do it differently. Then they would have killed you. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, when you've got a group of people who refuse to assimilate into your, uh, uh, into your society and who feel it's okay to run out and scalp people and kill people, then you... You got to those same tactics back towards them. Right. And uh, at some point, separation is the only way to do it. Uh, and, and by the way, the separation also, what we did with the Indians in these closing moments, they also were dealing with freed slaves. 
they created Liberia, which was going to be a nation on the west coast of Africa for freed slaves to go and start their own little America. However, most African-Americans at that time were way too smart for that and said, I'm staying right here where it's better. And the capital of Liberia was... Monrovia. Named after... James... Uh, was Monroeville, not Monrovia, sorry. It's Monrovia. But James Monroe. Monrovia. was okay. it Monroeville. Monrovia. Okay. We'll check that out. But I think it's Monrovia. Anyway, uh, we're out of time, but to set up set up our next show, we, you, you, we are going to... Well, to set up the next show, they're the presidents that no one can remember are coming up. And the influence of Ohio politics, ideology, and presidents. Stick around. Thanks for listening. Share the show. I'm Brad Koffel. That's the general. This is for the defense of the American people, the American dream. Hey, oh, where to go?